We are glad you joined us today. Harrison Church is constantly being blessed with its members and volunteers who are devoted to experiencing and sharing the amazing Word of God. If you wish to get involved, please visit us online at harrisonchurch.org and click the Get Involved tab for more information. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming here uh, for worship, and uh, especially if you are visiting with us. What a delight to have you with us. I'm Shane. Uh, I'm usually the one delivering the sermons here, and I'm glad that you're with us. I do want to kind of catch us up, though. If you're visiting, if, uh, even if you're a member, you were here last week. I have begun a series based on the questions that you have asked me over the last few weeks. It's kind of like that old NFL commercial back from the 80s. Remember that? You make the call, right? You make the call. Right, and so the sermons will be based on your, your questions to me that I've received, and I've received a lot of great questions. Last week, one of the questions that you asked was, why is the God of the Old Testament so wrathful? And I tried to kind of dispel that myth a little bit. I didn't just explain it away, but there's a lot more to it than that. If you haven't had a chance to hear that sermon, we invite you to go to our website. We do uh, put our sermons online, and speaking of that... If uh, every single week, I usually send out an email to kind of give you a preview of what's to come this Sunday. If uh, you are not receiving those emails and you would like to, just send me an email. My information should be on the order of worship, that paper that you have somewhere, or just go to our website at harrisonchurch.org, get you uh, connected, and that way we can communicate together. So now we're going to come into part two of our series, and uh, I sent a preview out for that. But Before I kind of tell you what it's about... Let's just hear from our scripture. So I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able. I'm going to be reading a very short passage from the prophet Jeremiah, just verses 1 through 6. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. And then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. All right, just imagine it. Two people are in a fender bender. And they get out of their car on the road to assess the damage to their cars. But while they're waiting for the police to file the report, they get to know each other. And sometime later, they both get married. And we say... Everything happens for a reason. Or, imagine this. You take your children down to the park, local park, to do some playing. You need to get them out of the house. And uh, as uh, they're playing, you're on one of the benches there. Another family happens to come up and has a seat near to you. And you get to know the mother or the father. And and you find out that this family is going through some hard times. And you dig a little deeper and you talk a little longer and you realize that you actually can provide the very help that they need. A little bit later you think to yourself, everything happens for a reason. Or some tragedy happens. or Some disaster befalls a city or some diagnosis is leveled to you or to someone in your family or to someone you know. And after the shock has worn off, 
You've got some time to recalibrate. Either somebody says to you or you think to yourself, everything happens for a reason. You see where I'm going. All right, we're at part two. This is part two of our series based on your questions, as I've just said. And what I thought we'd do for the next few minutes is talk about this line that we just keep saying and we have heard all of our lives as Christian people. I have said this to people before, I shall admit. Everything happens for a reason. Now, uh, this is some of the questions that were asked to me. Maybe not in this way, but is God in control of everything? Is everything, you know, in, in, in under his, you know, hand? Uh, now, some of you might be thinking this morning, like, well, didn't Shane talk about this like some time ago? And if you're thinking that this morning, you would be right. But the problem is, like a bad penny, it just keeps coming back. I keep hearing this uh, just not too long ago, a few weeks ago, um, I... I uh, I committed a blunder. It was a blunder. I didn't hurt anybody, but it was one of those uh, blunders in pastoral ministry that can happen. And uh, I confessed to someone. I said, here's the blunder that I committed. And this person said, nope, God wanted you to commit that blunder. God is in control. Right? It just keeps coming back. Right? So let's talk about this. Now, you and I both can understand where this comes from. I mean, there is something about us as human beings. We like to think in terms of a story. Everything is a narrative to us. We love plots, right? We, we like to think that, you know, that this happens, you know, the plot, and then this happens, so that, this can happen, and so this can happen. And all of it, all of it can bring itself to this, this conclusion, right, that all makes sense. And there is a desire in all of us to explain things as if it were a story. So there's a part of us that likes to think, you know, maybe God's like an author, you know, and he's writing the script, right? And there's all these plots, and, and this will happen so that this can happen, so this can happen, so this can happen, so it can all come to this kind of outcome. Now, let me be very clear. As I said last week, I do not have all the answers. There are a few places, if you look in the Bible, that seems to suggest that, that God kind of knows what's going on in every moment, kind of has some control here. I'm thinking of... Uh, a story in the book of Exodus where it says that uh, you have Pharaoh against Moses, and, and it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? But what I said last week is, now, if you isolate a story in the Bible without pulling back the cover on the whole Bible, then you can run into some problems. So what we've got to do in a case like this is let's, let's pull back the curtain a little bit. Let's get the books of the Bible to kind of argue with each other on this thing. Everything happens for a reason. Let's think this through. Now, uh, the person who really popularized this notion that God is behind everything, he popularized it. His name is John Calvin. How many of you ever heard of John Calvin? Okay, a few of you heard of John Calvin. Now, there were other people who taught this. He just kind of made it famous. All right, sometimes, some of you have heard of uh, Calvinism. It came from John Calvin. John Calvin, great, brilliant mind. I'm not discounting his brilliance. Just an absolute brilliant theologian. But he just kind of esteemed what we call the sovereignty of God. Right? That God is really in control of everything. Now, there are uh, varieties of even Calvinism. So you can get five Calvinists in the room, and they might actually disagree on this. Some kind of painting here in broad brush strokes. But one of the things that John Calvin believed is that, man, if God is so sovereign. He is in such control that everything that happens, there's something going on here. God, God is doing something. And and so when John Calvin, there were times in his life when something awful would happen, he, he was able to say, well, whatever has happened has got to be willed by God. It has to be God's will, 
in some way. Now, I have to confess to you, I'm a little jealous of this because if you really think about it, let's just confess this. That it really is a very tidy way, isn't it? That's a really clean way to kind of bring explanation to everything. That God is in control of, of everything, but I can't, I can't just rest in that. That's Calvinist. That's Calvinism. We're not Calvinist. We are Methodist. Okay, we are Methodist people. John Wesley, the founder of our Methodist faith, and he wasn't the only one either. But man, he had all kinds of problems with this. I actually read some of his sermons this week on when he was fighting with his Calvinist friends. They were still friends, but man, he just said, I got all kinds of problems with this. Because here's what John Wesley said. If there is a reason for everything, if everything is happening for a reason, if God is in control of all of our actions and everything that happens, then that means, oops, that we really can't say we're responsible for anything. We're not responsible for anything. We're not responsible for our actions, which means we can't be judged for our sin if God's in control of everything, nor can we be rewarded for our virtue. If God is in control of everything, John Wesley said, then we're, we're really no different than the sun and the moon and the planets. All of them have these fixed orbits, right? They're moving on the, on the fabric of space and time. They're, they're all fixed. In other words, John Wesley believed if God is in control, if everything happens for a reason, then that means we really have no free will at all. But see, John Wesley was a big proponent of free will. Oh, I so desperately want to go there, rush. John Wesley would have chosen free will. Okay, my rush friends will get that. He would have chosen free will, Right? John Wesley looked at the Scripture, and if you look at the whole Bible, what you tend to see is God desiring the free, consensual worship of His people and to freely worship Him in love. You cannot be in control of everything and some people and call that love. See, love requires that you've got to give some space. God is love. That means, you know, there, God has to give us some space, and so we freely consent to worship and to love God. The scriptures say that, that God created all of us in his image. Genesis chapter 1. God created us in his image. And thousands have been the great thinkers in our tradition who say, wait a minute. If God has created us in his image, we can say something about this. Because one of the things you can say about God is that he's free. He's not confined like we are to time. He's not confined like we are to space. God is truly free. And if we are created in the image of a God that's truly free, then we've got to have a measure of freedom in ourselves to be in his image. Which means there's got to be a measure of freedom for us to do what is responsible. And there's got to be a little measure of freedom for us to do even those things that are irresponsible. But God cannot be in total control of everything. Then we run into all kinds of... Uh, problems. You think about the book of Genesis, the story opens, God creates Adam and Eve, you know, and then they sin against the Lord. And there have been a lot of people who say, well, see, the reason all that happened is because God wanted all that to happen. Everything was happening for a reason. God wanted them to sin against him, to turn away from him so that it could set the stage for our salvation. But if you go back to the story, something remarkable happens even there. Adam and Eve sin. And then it says, God comes to them and says, 
What did you do? What did you do? And in that moment, there have been a lot of commentators say, you know what Adam and Eve could have done in that moment when God said, what did you do? You know what they said they could have done? They could have confessed their sin. They could have repented. And the story may have changed a little bit. God actually gave them the freedom. But what they did, <laughs> kind of the story of humanity, instead they just blamed each other for it. You know, Adam said, she made me do it. And then Eve said, well, well the serpent made me do it. They just blamed each other for this, right? right? God didn't, didn't orchestrate all of this to happen. He, he actually gave them some freedom a little bit. Um, there's a pastor I know in our conference. Uh, sometime last year, there was a, a tragedy in the congregation, and one of the members of the church was killed by a drunk driver. And uh, a lot of people, nobody means any harm with this, a lot of people started saying within this church, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. God, God has a plan. You've heard this. And the pastor kind of said, uh, wait a minute. Here's the reason. Someone decided to drink too much, and then under the influence decided to get in a car, and then tear down the interstate, lose control of that car, slam 2,000 pounds into our member's car, now the member's dead. That's the reason it happened. We don't need to have God to explain why this happens at all. All right? We bear some responsibility for some of the things that happen. So John Wesley believed, like, you know, if God is in control of everything, if everything happens for a reason, we don't have any, any freedom, really. And what, what's worse is that if 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 everything happens for a reason, then that means there's really no such thing as a tragedy. And there's really no such thing as evil. If everything happens for a reason, everything, if everything happens, then there, we can't really say something is a tragedy, and we can't really say something is an evil. Now, most of us have no reservation whatsoever when we say everything happens for a reason when something great happens. You know, I, I applied to Duke Divinity School the same time Christy Phipps applied to Duke Divinity School. And we met at Duke Divinity School, but she was this close to going to Candler in Atlanta. This close. If she wouldn't have, life would be different. I would not be the man I am today if that happened. And we can say, well, was God up to something there? I like to believe he was. But if everything happens for a reason, then we got problems because then we've got awful things that happen. Someone gambles away the family income. Or a child is hurt. Or some gunman goes somewhere and hurts innocent people. If everything happens for a reason, then we really can't call those things tragedies at all. We would say, wow, God wanted this person to gamble away the family income. Or for this child to be hurt, it's an act of God's will. If it's an act of God's will, we can't ever say the word tragedy at all, can we? I mean, really, think about it. That we even use the language, tragedy, disaster. I mean, doesn't that kind of imply that something is wrong? But if everything happens for a reason, then everything is God's will. And if everything is God's will, there's really no tragedy here at all. There's really no disaster at all. And what I love, what I love about the Bible, and I don't think we appreciate this quite enough, is that throughout the Bible, you find characters in it that do not embrace 
this idea that everything happens because it's God's will. You do not find characters in the Bible that believe all the wrongs that happen are a part of God's plan. As a matter of fact, you find a lot of characters that want to right the wrongs of the world. We don't appreciate this enough. In the ancient world, let's be very clear, in the ancient world, most people of other religions believed in something called fatalism. They were fatalistic. You ever heard the expression fatalism? And what that means is that they really believed that, man, it was written in the stars. The gods, like Zeus, right? They, they, have, they have fate for us. So everything that happens, whether it's good or whether it is wicked, it is fated. There's nothing we can do. And so in the ancient world, you had people saying, well, you just got to accept your fate. This is what the gods want. We may not understand, but this is what the gods want. But you don't find that in here. Instead, you find people who say, this can't be what God wants. We have to stand up for something greater. I mean, Moses, going back to him. I seem to bring him up a lot, but Moses, he speaks out against slavery. But it was Pharaoh who would have said in those times, I'm the son of God. This is God's will. Some are going to be slaves in this world, and some are going to be royalty. Get over it. It's fate. Accept it. Moses didn't accept that. That's wrong. He spoke up against it. Job. Job. Oh, man. Throughout the book of Job, Job did not accept his misfortunes as the fate written in the stars. He spoke against his misfortunes. Or the prophets. They didn't say, oh, the king has spoken, therefore we must do it because it must be God's will. The prophets in the Bible spoke against the kings when they were corrupt. I mean, think about this. You and I are here right now today. You're listening to this sermon right now because we are worshiping the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of Jesus Christ, because there were people in the ancient world who refused to believe that everything happens for a reason. We're here today because of them. There are some things that shouldn't happen. In those moments, we need to be the counter voice to look for a better world. All right. So... How in the world are we supposed to understand kind of God's providence? Uh, I have to admit to you, when I wrote my sermon last week, I had a 50-minute sermon prepared. Um, I realized I can't do 50 minutes. There's so much to talk about here, but I, I, I did share with you really one of the passages from Jeremiah that has helped me in my life understand kind of how does God's providence work? This is helpful to me. So God tells Jeremiah to go to this potter's house, and, and there she is, or he is, just making some pottery, and, and he's watching this potter craft this vessel, and, and then at some point, the clay is spoiled, it says. Ugh. And then he watched the, the potter rework that clay into something that seemed good to him. Now, what's interesting is that based on the text, the potter had something else in mind. You see where I'm going? But yet the potter reworked the clay into something that was still good. And then God says to Jeremiah, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, as the potter does with the clay? And I love this. Because what that suggests is that God, God is, is the, he's the potter in our lives. And he's trying to shape us. He's trying to shape the world. And yet there are times when something happens and the clay is spoiled. But but what God does is like, well, that's not what I intended to happen. But he finds a way to 
refashion the clay. He, he can rework the clay, and he can bring something still beautiful out of it, even though it was not his original intent at, uh, at all. Um, on Wednesday last week, I was in a uh, group of women. Uh, they were doing kind of a Bible study where we talk, and they talk every week about the sermon coming up as well as the sermon that was already preached. And so I was sharing this image with them of, of how God in this, this passage, he's like, I'm, I'm like the potter that can rework the clay. And uh, one of the ladies in the group gave me the best analogy. I'm going to steal this for the rest of my life. And uh, she said, that's kind of like a GPS, isn't it? And I said, go on. And she says, you know, you get a GPS. And you will, like, put in your destination, your, your coordinates. And, uh, and so you're traveling, and you're going the best route that the GPS wants you to take. And uh, at some point, the GPS will say, uh, in 500 feet, turn right. Uh, yeah? Okay, well, you either miss the, the right turn, or uh, you just have a lapse of attention, and you just keep going. You don't turn right. And all of a sudden, the GPS will say, recalculating. She says, are you saying God's like that? And I said, yes. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Now, now, not every analogy is perfect. I get it. But it, I, that makes sense to me. It's like God has a, he's got our, a route, right? He wants us to go a certain direction. It is the best route to take. But there are moments in our lives when we should go right. We don't go right. We keep going. Or we go left. And yet God can say, recalculating. And he'll still get us to where we need to go. It may not be. It may not be the route that he intended at first, but God can do this. What I'm saying is that I think the grace of God improvises with our lives. God can improvise. This is not really where I wanted you to go, but I can rework this. I can recalculate and make this happen. I think there is, there is something to this. I think there's something to this. Sorry, I mean, let's make it personal. Some of you uh, know my story. Um, you know, I was raised like millions of kids in the United States. I was raised in a single-parent home. How many of you were raised in a single-parent home growing up? Ah, lots of us. All right, so my parents divorced when I was very young, and uh, I never knew my father growing up. Some of you know that. Some of you don't. I never knew my father. Now, here's the deal. I can remember being a little boy, and I always had this profound curiosity about God. And, uh, you know, I'd go to church where my grandparents went, and I would hear, you know, God is your father, or we'd say the Lord's Prayer, and I was always very curious about God. Now, it may very well have been a result of growing up with my father's absence that gave me this kind of curiosity about God. Now, you fast forward a few years, next thing you know, my curiosity leads me to be the pastor that I am today. Now, if everything happens for a reason then what you're saying is that God wanted me to grow up without my father so my mother could struggle to raise my sister and me so that I would have this curiosity about God so that one day I could become the senior pastor of Harrison Church to preach this sermon in 2017. That's what you're saying. But here's what I believe. I believe it was God's will for me to grow up in a family that was intact. But things happen. It's reality. And yet God found a way to rework the clay and to bring something out of it. And maybe he didn't intend. But it was still beautiful and it was still good. 
And I bet you all of you right here, I'm almost finished. I bet all of you right here today, you could talk about stories in your life where you've been through some stuff and, man, it looked like a dead end. And yet God reworked the clay. Right? He found a way. He found a way. You know, an addict. You know, an addict addicted to something and goes through recovery and later becomes a source of healing for somebody else. I don't think God said, I want you to be addicted to pills. That would be great. Because this person in 10 years is going to need your help. But no, what God did is he's going to rework that clay. He's going to refashion that life so that it becomes something. A family I know lost their child to a domestic violence. It was terrible. It was awful. But now they're kind of pioneering this, this initiative to, to raise awareness for domestic violence. That's a way for God to rework the clay. All of you have that going on. You can testify to this. And I started thinking that this is really the, the story of Jesus, is it not? This is Jesus. I got to tell you, I, I, I'm of the belief that it was not God's will for his son to be tortured to death by the government. I actually believe that it was possible for people around Jesus to embrace him, you know, to choose to follow him. Like, yeah, he's, he's the truth. We, we need to go this way. But as it always happens in our world, people chose fear over faith. It's the story of, our, of humanity. And we crucified him and we killed him, but when we put him in the tomb, it looked to be over. But what I believe is that in the tomb, God, God took the body of Jesus, you know, made of the dust like we are, made of clay. And what God did is, is he reworked that clay. And out of the marring that happened on Good Friday, God created the beautiful vessel that we say is Easter. And he was raised again from the dead. That, that's how God works. So do I, do I believe that everything happens for a reason? I do not. Do I believe that some things happen for a reason? Yes. There are some t- points in our life when we are yielding our lives, man, we're on the route. and God doesn't have to recalculate. And things can happen, and I believe he's involved in our lives, but, but we can, things can happen in this world of risk. Things can happen in our own lives, but even in that moment, there's not a dead end. God knows how to rework the clay. He will find away so whatever you're going through if you're suffering if something's going on in your life god god is finding a way he will find a way there is always hope let's pray lord uh, we do question and we do wonder but we do stand as your people knowing that you willed good for us have always willed good for us as we sang a few moments ago you're a good good father it's who you are. So Lord, I pray on behalf of those who have been through so much and who are going through so much and it just looks like a dead end. I hope that today has been a, a source of consolation for them that they, you did not put this on them. You only will what is good, but you will rework. You will refashion. You can recalculate. And you will bring us to the destination that you have intended for us. So help us trust in your provision and in your constant care. That once we come out of whatever we're going through, whatever happens to be our Good Friday, I pray that there will be Easter. That we can be a source of good news for others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at HarrisonChurch.org.